0: Welcome to the Victoria Anarchist Book Fair's week of podcasts and performances featuring local, national, and international activists and authors.
1: The Book Fair Collective and From Embers have teamed up this year to release presentations over our podcast platform that can't be held in person due to the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: Recordings of these voices of resistance were conducted on unceded Indigenous territories across so-called British Columbia and beyond.
1: For more information about the Book Fair and a full schedule of online events, you can check out victoriaanarchistbookfair.ca.
0: Listeners in the Victoria region are encouraged to visit Camas Books at camus.ca for anarchist publications and more. Thanks for listening.
1: My name is Ven, she, her, or they, them pronouns, and I'm on the Victoria Anarchist Book Fair Collective. This interview, we're going to be talking about the work of the P4W, or Prison for Women Memorial Collective, and their recent work in opposition to transphobic and transmisogynistic petitions demanding the segregation of trans women in women's prisons. We'll be talking to two people. Ann Hanson, she, her pronouns, has spent a little over seven years in prison, including two short stints in Grand Valley Institution for Women on a couple of parole suspensions. These suspensions gave her the opportunity to see if the new so-called reformed Federal Prisons for Women were an improvement over P4W. In a word, not. She is serving a life sentence for her role in the urban guerrilla group Direct Action during the 80s. She now lives on a small, wannabe, self-sufficient farm and continues doing prison abolition work with the P4W Memorial Collective, not far from her old cage in P4W near Kingston. And Naftali, they-them pronouns, is a white non-binary trans Jew into abolition, anti-Zionism, black and indigenous liberation, night bouquets, and community care. Their commitment to abolition is rooted in ancestral Jewish practices and dreams in diaspora. They work on projects as a member of the P4W Memorial Collective and contribute interviews from time to time to prison radio CFRC 101.9 FM, which airs inside over 10 institutions in the Kataraki, Kingston region. They have never been in prison or jail. The Victoria Anarchist Book Fair Collective acknowledges the Lekwungen and Wasanich peoples, also known as the Songhees and Esquimalt Nations, and the Saanich Nation, whose occupied traditional territories we organize, live our lives, work, play, and hold our events upon. Not only their territories, but also the traditional territories of the hedena Sanega and Mississauga uh, were the territories on which this interview were recorded. Uh, As part of this acknowledgement. acknowledgement, Uh, I personally would like to add that prison populations cage a disproportionate amount of indigenous people compared to the white settler and colonizer population that we belong to, and the abolition of prisons and police must by necessity also be part of the first step, truly the step zero of decolonization, of relinquishing all land held by us as settlers and colonizers, both as individuals and institutions, from corporations to governments from federal on down to municipal. The abolition of Canada is a dual movement with the abolition of prisons and police, and one which we, we As settlers and colonizers must be committed to. Enjoy the episode. If you guys could introduce yourselves, we'll start with Anne and say a little bit about uh, what you're going to be speaking on today.
2: Well, um, I'm a member of the P4W Memorial Collective, and we've been together for a number of years, and we mainly have been focusing on um, getting a memorial garden for all the women who've died in prisons in Canada at the site of. It, we call it P4W, but speaking of acronyms, it stands for the Prison for Women, which was the only prison in Canada for women for from uh, 1935 until 2000. And so anyways, um, we have a, a messenger group as well, which uh, is composed of women who've been in prison, but from all over Canada. And we are a closed group, so we talk. And one day, uh, you know, I was scrolling through, and I saw that someone had posted this petition called the Canadian Women's Declaration and Appeal to Repeal Bill C-16. Now, I'm not a big proponent of, you know, the Canadian uh, Bill of Charter Rights and Bill C-16 and all this in the sense that, you know, as an anti-capitalist, and I do identify as an anarchist, I don't believe that bills of rights and freedoms are, are there more of an illusion for the vast majority of people? I'm not going to go on a big lecture about it, but I think a lot of people that identify as radical or even revolutionaries would, would acknowledge that these bills of rights and freedoms generally apply mainly to the, you know, white male elites, you know, so, but even then it was, I, when I read this petition, it was so transphobic and advocating for things like segregating all transgender women in, in, in prison due to a few, a several transgender women who committed act, like raped a woman in one case. And another person had been transferred from a men's prison as a transgender woman had a history of being a pedophile. And, and there was a few, and then there was some inappropriate actions that were, talked about quite a bit in the petition of transgender either a transgender woman or maybe two i don't know who exposed their penises to people but they the, the petition only focused on these actions that were notorious and when i started studying the petition like the footnotes i read magazine articles again repetitively about the same two or three incidences so, and in, and in the introduction to this petition, it begins by saying that transgender women are, are not women. They are, they are feminine men. And they refuse to use uh, the pronoun she. They will only use the pronoun he. So it's clearly transphobic. Um, so I, I guess, like, I, I have become a bit of a, believer in there are times when the harm reduction philosophy that started in the drug community is a, could, is applicable for political things as well meaning that if like let's say in my case i do see myself as a revolutionary you know i i don't think that we can make capitalism better or this so-called democracy um a, a place where everyone has the same rights and freedoms and opportunities blah 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 right but still I, I feel that being getting to be quite like an older person myself, I, I'm not exactly gonna hold my breath for the revolution occurring in the next few years. So in some cases, like you can use an example like someone who's been in segregation for several years. If you're visiting someone who's who's been in SEG for years, which is not uncommon. And you say to that person that you're not going to do anything practical to help them get out of this situation because you're doing revolutionary activity. You don't want to do this more or less reform stuff. You know, I could imagine being the person in SEG just not ever wanting to see you again. And in this case, with the with the declaration, I felt like that all like it was it was very um, it would be rallying and organizing people to to help the csc in the sense that they would they want to segregate transgender women in prison so that they're separate from the general population and to promote seeing transgender women really as just men who've you know made these sort of cosmetic changes so um i start i started talking about how we should start a counter petition just again using the harm reduction philosophy that if we could just sort of pressure uh, the CSC to not carry through this threat of segregating all transgender women. And then I, st- we, I started working with Naftali and women from our collective on this petition. And um, that's, that's sort of how it started.
1: All right. And uh, Naftali, a little introduction for yourself and, uh, and a little brief thing about this project.
0: Sure. My name is Naftali, um, and I'm also working with Anne in the P4W Memorial Collective. Um, I'm a white uh, trans non-binary Jew, and I've never been in prison. Um, so my, I got involved in the specific issue via the collective from hearing about the um, conversations that had been happening in the messenger group that Anne already described. And one of the ideas that we came up with because Prisoner's Justice Day was approaching. So we thought that, you know, alongside this kind of harm reduction model, which we are all in support of, but of course also recognize the limitations of, you know, activities like petitions or that kind of more like lobbying mentality. Um, we thought that for Prisoner's Justice Day, it could be a great idea to also do interviews with trans women that have been inside um you know, not even focusing on the petition itself, but more so to uh, give a platform um, to trans women who are revolutionaries, who are anti-capitalists, who have extremely sophisticated and beautiful analysis of, um, you know, revolutionary ideas and to um, put that out uh, on the Internet and on prison radio and that type of thing. To, to not only just focus on this conflict, this transphobic conflict that was happening via the um, Canadian Women's Declaration, but to also push the conversation further and kind of um, think about, you know, why is it that even in, you know, really powerful prison abolition movements, we can still kind of... Um, not necessarily forget about, but but there are certain certain people that become marginalized within abolitionist movements as well, and trans people, specifically trans women and racialized trans women in particular, um, are often you know pushed to the margins of our own movements. Um, so I think that uh, in addition to uh, the conversations that were happening in that messenger group, me and another person who are in our collective uh, started to get in touch with people and started to do outreach and stuff to set up. Um, some meetings and, and yeah, it was really beautiful because I think that even though the kind of impetus for uh, these interviews was the, the transphobic conflict that I was talking about, it really grew into um, something that's maybe more about actually hearing hearing analysis from trans women that is abolitionist and anti-capitalist and anti-racist um, and, and how those ideas can really be leading our movements.
1: Yeah, so I guess sort of a, a question for, for you, Neftali, would be uh, in, in doing this outreach, um, you know, sort of what's, what's something that you think is one of the more sort of common things that you're hearing from uh, trans women in prisons?
0: I think is the kind of undercurrent um, that was really has been through every interview that I've done is really about how uh, people are wary of, um, you know, creating a prison that is accommodating. So uh, as much as everyone totally is in favor of harm reduction, and like Anne was talking about, of course, when you're actually having the experience of being uh, in prison, then obviously, you know, whether you're on the inside or whether you're on the outside, um, you know, Building that struggle as well, of course, we want we want prisoners to be the leaders of our movements and we want people to survive prison. So on the one hand, um, you know that's very important in terms of harm reduction, but on the two hand, People also talk about how really the the goal is not to make the prison a a space that's safe for trans folks, um, so to speak. And one thing that I had a conversation with somebody that I'm not even sure if this made it into any of the interviews that we've posted online so far, but um, is thinking about the way that CSC is really... Um, you know, like through, for example, he, the Healing Lodge model has really moved into this, this world of of cages that is actually in punishment. And this kind of comes through these rubrics like healing or, you know, like culturally appropriate um, methods of incarceration and that type of thing. And how it's really kind of slippery slope because, um, you know, people were talking about you could imagine, for example, there being like a trans only prison and how there really has to be a balance between harm reduction and abolition because we're not trying to build more prisons. We're not trying to, the goal is not to have prisons that are safe for trans women.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's a good point too, that, uh, you know, as, as much as it's important to improve conditions sort of within the beast that there is, the idea is to slay the beast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think sort of to that to that point, I guess, as regards the petition, um, do you know anything sort of about how this petition is being received by government as, as opposed to uh, the, the original transphobic petition?
0: Um, well, I know online there's a, like a huge amount of support. I mostly have been involved in what's circulating on Instagram. And, um, you know, in our collective, also in the P4W Memorial Collective, we've had conversations like, you know, really frank conversations where we talk about like, you know, is, is something like a petition worthwhile? Is it we, we feel a little bit uncomfortable about doing it because, as Anne was saying, like, there's also limits to that kind of activity. But then at the same time, it's actually been really well received and and by people that are, you know, super radical. And I think that um, the the text that me and Ann worked on that accompanies the petition really lays out very clearly the kind of tensions around. Um, I guess, like the danger of building momentum for that kind of transphobia, um, maybe Anne can speak to that more. But even like in terms of amongst uh, employees of CSC, parole officers, all these types of right. um, people that are that have the, the the agency and the power to really make um, life miserable or even impossible for trans people inside.
1: Yeah, Anne, um, as as regards um, sort of the the impacts of you know of both petitions, I guess um, you know. What, what are you sort of aware of as far as that goes in terms of, like, yeah, people working within CSC or, or government? Like, it, government sort of has, – has there been any kind of response um, in terms of, like, people suggesting legislation or, or anything like that? Or, you know, obviously the initial one is suggesting a repeal of, of uh, certain aspects of legislation. But uh, are you aware of any sort of rumblings from, from, from government or from CSC?
2: Uh, no, not yet. I mean, really, we just started um, posting the petition online on prisoners' Justice Day, so it's only been right. a few weeks. You so know, we we're right now we're still just accumulating signatures. But you know, with anything that any action that people do, like for example, um, you know, let's say you can have people who, as an action, decide to blockade an abortion clinic. Now that. It's like the action can be the same itself as, let's say, blockading um, a pig farm, a, a huge industrial pig farm where they're abusing the pigs. They're both blockades, but what makes them different, you know, is the consciousness, is the ideas, is what is what motivates them. So in, in a sense, like I think that, you know, I, I see a lot of things like that. Like, you could, like I'm not a big fan of petitions. the whole idea of lobbying the government. Right. But in this piece, as long as what we're, like, I, like, our motive is to also raise awareness at the same time, because it's amazing how there is a real um, layer of transphobia within the population at large. So that if you hear this one story about a transgender woman who is running around with their penis exposed, even other women who've been in prison and have been in prison with only transgender women who were, like everybody else, like really great, Right. It's very—it's amazing how quickly people jump on board that—that image, you know. And so I think the 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 petition is only sort of in its small part to sort of put some pressure on the CSC to not segregate all transgender prisoners, but it's also to combat this transphobia that exists inside prisons as well uh, as it does outside. And so I know in my case, and I know with the same with Naftali, you know, we've had many, many conversations that have come out of this petition. And, um, like, like things are happening, like there was a court case not too long ago, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce it right, but Beaujolais, um, you know, versus the, the government, and the CSC was def- was defending a not transferring a transgender woman who they said was too physically strong and too dangerous to put into a women's prison unless guards were able to use weapons. Now, as it is now, guards in women's prisons do not carry around guns and stuff. Um, They can only do that in an extreme emergency. And so this would be the CSC's justification for having weapons all the time. And that kind of a courtroom seat lawsuit, right, and in this kind of courtroom situation and just this story um, would, sort of puts the blame on guards. Let's say they are given the right to, to carry arms in the living units. You can pretty soon see that that will, again, add to transphobia. Well, that's because of all the trans women in prison. You know, that's why they're all carrying guns now. So there's a lot of levels where the petition is being, and the, of course the interviews even more so, but just talking about the petition again um, will hopefully help to uh, raise awareness about transphobia and, and really what it is and how we have to really look carefully and remember that these sensationalist stories are true. Like, I'm not we're not denying what women in prison are testifying has happened. But to keep in mind, that they are that they're isolated incidences. They are not incidences that happen with all transgender women in prison.
1: Yeah. Um, and it just sort of in in regards to action sort of outside of what you've already done, obviously there's a petition and there's interviews and trying to amplify the voices of trans women that are uh, currently incarcerated or uh, I don't know if you've been talking to people who've been previously incarcerated, but that's also... Um, be sort of an interesting avenue but um is there any other action uh that you're planning that you think would be sort of in service of those goals of both uh putting pressure uh on the csc sort of to you know have them not be quite as transphobic as perhaps they already are for one thing and what they could be if they're listening to the the other petition um and also to educate people and to get the word out and to kind of uh, encourage a kind of solidarity with uh, uh, trans women in prisons. Is there any sort of other actions that are sort of simmering that you can talk about or any things that you've sort of thought of?
0: Well, for now, we actually haven't really moved into other phases of this project in terms of other actions, but I will say that like one of the things that has come up that I think is really important um, and like we had a lot of conversations about is actually the like transphobia that as Anne mentioned earlier kind of transphobia exists everywhere it's sort of like in the air that we breathe and so as much as you know the powers that be maybe csc and that's kind of who we're directing the petition to a lot of what the conversations that we've been having in our collective is actually about addressing transphobia in our own communities and in our own struggles and um you know the people that we're close to and that we work with so I think, like, for me, that's kind of actually one of the most um, exciting is sort of an inappropriate word, but, like, one of the more energizing parts about this is actually the conversations that come up um, with people that, you know, that we want to be in solidarity with or, or that we're already in a collective with um, and actually, you know, hearing more about how, how and why transphobia is actually mobilized um, you know, because people are afraid because prison is a violent institution, you know, it's it completely makes sense, um, I think, that people, that transphobia could become something that people could kind of cling to as a way to think about safety or security in a space that's completely violent and insecure, like a prison. Um, so to me, that's actually kind of the most generative part of this at present, is really those conversations that are happening more on like, a, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of like a local level, and, and even turning a little bit away from the, the sort of institutions that we initially wanted to kind of talk back to and actually look at how transphobia is manifesting you know, in our, in our own collective, let's say, or in the messenger group or whatever. um, I think that that is uh, uh, kind of like, in a way, it's maybe the most important starting place um, is building those conversations. And, and, um, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily awareness, but just talking about like, yeah, why, why is this a, why did this petition catch on? Why did this transphobic kind of rhetoric catch on?
1: That's really awesome. Yeah. That's, that's something that I think just as a, as a trans person who's, also navigating uh, whether it's radical spaces or whether it's just political spaces in a general sense, or even, you know, uh, speaking with family members, speaking with friends or, or, you know, things like that to, to have that conversation be sort of an ongoing thing because, you know, transphobia is ongoing. So the resistance to it and the sort of conversations around that should be ongoing as well. So I think that's, that's really important. That kind of work. Um is there anything that that you think um, people should really be focused on? Uh, obviously, the petition you're wanting people to, to sign it and get sort of boost it and give it some uh, give it some legs. Uh, but aside from that, um, listening to what the interviews that you've posted, um, and you know, sort of aside from those things, is there anything that you think is like a really actionable thing for anybody listening to this that that they could be um, doing themselves?
2: Well, I think to become more educated and, and whenever, like, I, you know what, I'm kind of going to refer a little bit back to what we were just talking about, you know, to answer your question. Like, some of the issues that are coming up in prison, I believe, are also coming up on the street. Like, for example, when when like I, I was in prison, and like I said, the women in our messenger group were in prison, and when we were in there, for a transgender woman to be in a women's prison, they had to have had... Um, sex reassignment surgery, and so I think it's just coincidence that I—I I don't know of anybody during my period of time in prison. We were there was always a transgender woman in in the, in with us in the 80s and 90s, and I don't none of my friends who were there with me remember us. Like there was no problems with transgender women that I can recall, and neither I haven't heard other people say that either. Whereas now. There seems to be, and a lot of it centers around that that tra- some transgender women do not have the operation, like they haven't had it or they don't want it. And even on the street, I think that's a bit of an issue. People don't think that if a trans woman hasn't had an operation, that she that she she's serious or that she's a fake or something. And I think people aren't aware, first of all, of how you know, I, it's not a very advanced form of surgery, so for trans women who choose to have surgery, it's not a perfect science, you know, so it's pretty, it's still uh, you know, it. the surgery doesn't necessarily produce a really working female you know, vagina and clitoris and everything, so I can understand why people wouldn't necessarily have surgery, and there's and, and and a number of reasons why a person may choose not to have surgery. And on top of that, even if you do choose to have surgery, there's a government-approved um, uh, government specialist who you have to be interviewed. I guess there's more than one, but across Canada, who you have to get an interview with and you have to be approved. That takes time. And uh, it could take anywhere from a year to five years. And then on top of that, then you have to... Uh, the surgery is approved through the different provincial um, healthcare systems. So here in Ontario, be OHIP. And then once again, you have that, those long waiting periods between the time that you get approved and the time you you have the surgery.
1: Yeah. And and prison could obviously interrupt that process if, you know, yeah.
2: Yeah. So, you know, even if a person wants surgery, it could take five or more years even to have surgery. And again, a lot of, people choose not to have surgery, and and that shouldn't be an issue. I mean, I don't think, I have yet to meet a transgender woman who's walking around, like, exposing their penis. I think that has happened in prison. Like I said, I don't disbelieve anyone who said that's happened, but that doesn't mean that the vast majority of transgender women wouldn't do something like that. So, um, and then the other issue is, in prison in particular, that I think people need to be talking about is, for a number of years now, they've had a cross-gender staffing policy in the Canadian prison system. So there's male guards who are working in the women's prison and not just in, in sort of uh, the cafeterias and the workshops, but actually on the living unit. So they go through every hour and, and peek in, the, in each cell. And, you know, women could be sleeping with very little clothes on. They could be on the toilet. They could be in the shower. So women are constantly being exposed to male guards and in a, in a much more intrusive and, and consistent way than they are to transgender women with no clothes on you know like so they they they're constantly being exposed to men who are staring in when they're vulnerable in their cells. and it's also i mean if you could if, if you google uh, male guards and 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 female prisoners you know there's countless cases across north america of male guards who've had relationships with women prisoners that are either non-consensual or or in some cases consensual but the power imbalance is so is so um unequal unequal that it's it it can't be considered a, a kind of a relationship where you have two people who have equal power consenting to have a relationship So I think that when people uh, focus solely on transgender women being in prison and and this whole focus on the penis, you know, I think that they're uh, ignoring the elephant in the room, which would be the male guards who are now strolling through the women's living units without the women being able to control it or even know if they're coming. So a lot of, there's some of these, some of these things I think apply to the street as well. So I think we really have to, you know, understand all these issues and be more um, educated about them.
1: Mm -hmm. And Naftali, do you think there's anything that's sort of actionable that people could be doing in in support of these, uh, these women in these prisons?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I think what Anne was just saying is really true. And I think that that's, you know, Understanding the relationship between um, gender and criminalization, and, and obviously adding to that race and um, you know street involvement and all that type of thing. Like, I think that deepening our abolitionist analysis is to understand how really like subjection, as in like being made a subject by the state, is so entwined with um, with prisons, with police, um, and that that's really. You know, I don't know if it's so cheesy to say, but like we really do need to be having those conversations amongst ourselves. I think we need to be, um, you know, growing those conversations in our own communities and and practicing different ways of being in relation to each other and, and dreaming different ways of being in relation to each other. And, you know, that may not be like a concrete action that is immediately impacting somebody who's inside. But certainly in terms of actually making our analysis stronger of how gender and and criminalization and punishment are all completely linked. and, And especially the way that the state tries to, you know, divide people based on identity. And like literally that's how, you know, the transphobia kind of problem has started is in terms of there being like a scarcity of, of safety and security, and that only, only, you know, a certain number of people will be able to um, make it through. So I think that just continuing to kind of like be vigilant about, um, about the things that we overlook when we're planning actions, when we're, you know, um, when we're basically like, just trying to be in community with each other.
1: Yeah. and, And obviously also these are, these are women that you can, uh, right to. I mean, that's another thing that's kind of important is keeping lines of communication with the outside open. And, you know, people love receiving letters and and other kind of communication in prison. So that's something people could do. Is there anything else that either of you want to sort of uh, elaborate on? Um, Because I feel like we've covered a lot of ground. And uh, if you you have anything else that you want to say, we could kind of wrap it up, maybe, or up up
2: to you? I guess maybe just the last thing i would want to say is to it was sort of touching as well as what neftali was saying and that is i don't really have the statistics here in my head right now but i know that a disproportionate number of transgender women and men are are imprisoned and to we all have to keep in mind like who are prisoners anyways like you know even within radical communities there is this tendency to see people in prison as having made poor choices, let's say, at the least. They're bad people. They, you know, um, maybe maybe there's a bit of pressure for them to have committed a crime, but, but essentially it is something that people make as a choice, as a lifestyle. They're bad people. And I think hopefully most anarchists will have the analysis that, in general, people in prison are people who are, poverty live in poverty racialized uh victims of sexual abuse and um it's often committed you know be dealing in drugs uh st- you know fencing stolen goods and all the different things that are criminalized are actually often the only way that people who are very poor or from communities where they are b- being discriminated against like no one's going to it, like it's probably very difficult for trans women or trans men to get jobs, so of course the only resort left is the black market, and I think we have to keep that in mind. That prisoners are not bad people or people who bad made bad choices, but they are generally I don't want to I don't like using the word victim, but are victims of the unjust and unequal uh, social policies that the government and the wealthy elite. Uh, implement and force upon our our society Mm -hmm.
0: and maybe i would just add to that also that i you know given the context that this is an anarchist book fair um i think that's like another thing that we talked about a lot in relation to this project is the fact that yeah like for some people um you know people have a, a really radical revolutionary political analysis or whatever and there's also a lot of people outside of prison, but also inside of prisons who are not, um, you know, for whatever reasons, that's not what they're, what's on their minds or that's not, you know, the, the type of community that they've been involved in. Um, but that doesn't mean that the type of community that they've been involved in is any less radical um, and, and that they don't have analysis to offer. And, and also, like we were saying earlier, it also doesn't mean that there aren't problems like transphobia, you know, in prisons and that type of thing. Um, but I think also like, so just to echo Anne, expanding the kind of horizon of what radical is and what revolutionary is because so very often, especially, um, in the case of trans women in particular, uh, this is, you know, like sex workers, uh, trans women are way overrepresented in sex work and, and a lot of the criminalization that trans women encounter is maybe, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not always, you know, not to say that there aren't trans women that are anarchists, of course not. Um, that's not what I'm saying, but just like, that there's different ways that people get kind of siphoned into different communities and, and always being kind of mindful of trying to, um, you know, bridge those separations so that we don't keep uh, being divided from each other.
1: All right. Awesome. And where can people find uh, both the petition and the interviews that you're doing?
2: On our website, uh, www.p4wmemorialcollective.com. And you'll find interviews and the petition on our website.
0: You're listening to CFUV 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded, unsurrendered territories of the Husanic and Lekwungen peoples. This land now referred to as Victoria. (laughs) CFUV is proud to amplify Indigenous, fem and queer voices on our airwaves to see a full spectrum of our programs please visit cfv.ca
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Second to the side. We was wildin' on the street, all about some fuckin' sneaks. Cause my Iversons was leanin', I had collars on my feet. It was hollow in my heart. I had hollows in that piece. Got around just by the shots for niggas holler and they scream. Yeah. Sick and demented. It's a different dimension, nigga this a different dimension when you're taking them trenches, nigga rollin' on them streets, all about some fuckin' sneaks Cause my Iversons was lean and I had kindness on my feet I was hollow in my heart, and I had hollows in that peace got around just by them shots when niggas hollerin' and they scream Cause my mama was a fiend, I ain't got no fuckin' dream I ain't got a spot, ain't got a pot, ain't got a cop to sleep But I got money, I got sidewalk, I was a powder, what you mean? We was mobbin' in the was so that I, was fuck you mean? Fuck you mean, when you, you gon' make a miss you? Make her come if she kiss you. Make sure the niggas running with you Going bust busty pistol if shit's an issue. I done seen niggas freeze up, chop a spin and turn to pop I done watch niggas speak up and G's up and sound like sickle. Only time you wanna ride with you when your ass had the hospitals Cause waiting on the pill he got two wheels, bit a bicycle Feel like I'm doing life with you Cause I'm in and off them state numbers more familiar than my initials Body's riddle real and by riddles Wilding on them streets. All about some fucking sneaks Cause my Iversons was linked And I had callus on my feet It was hollow in my heart I had hollows in that piece Got a just by them shots When niggas holla and they scream Yeah Sick and demented It's a It's a It's a Different dimension, nigga It's a it's uh, sick and demented, it's a uh, different dimension When you're in them trenches, nigga But they know my rock bottom Face down, cuffs crack ass, cops screaming, I got him And they got the gun and you shot him Then come the rock bottom Keeps turning pot to the powder, get low rock at the bottom Shit drop before I took it out, uh I can never be outdone. I done came from not a crumb to the income, made an outcome. Kept a gun, but I'm not afraid, rock the same goal, that's what I won. Had to fight like a night, had to put in night work where I'm from. Find the light when the night comes, soldiers, that's for sure. Some are third and I'm fourth. Tour. I keep telling y'all, y'all boy, man, we done did this shit before. Bullet wounds, they get the itching when that rain, is start to pour. So if you scratch them, it's a privilege, cause you made it through that war. Moving back, on that mission? Just can't take this shit no more. Like you scratching and you picking on your scars to make it so. And I'm I ain't stealing, I ain't snaking if it's yours I ain't asking for permission, I'ma take it, I'm that boy We was wildin' on them streets All about some fuckin' sneaks Come on, ever other sins was leanin' I had collars on my feet It was hollow in my heart. I had hollows in that piece Gotta rise just by them shots When niggas hollerin' and they scream yeah. Sick and demented It's a, it's a Different dimension, nigga It's a, it's a Sick and demented It's a different dimension, nigga Thick in them trenches, nigga cfuv we got podcast and we're in our new season so whether you're into music social justice uvic affairs we got it all so right here first entrance into public opinion open mics in victoria are critical for new artists to cut their teeth but they can be a total nightmare for nervous new musicians in this episode we explore the world of open mics in victoria what makes a good one or maybe you're curious about the uvic bunnies what happened to the uvic bunnies we got it here. CFUVpodcast.com. Check it out.
2: Lots, lots,